Welcome to Altamar. I'm Moni Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter. Argentina's recent election was pretty damn definitive. Voters overwhelmingly ousted center-right incumbent Mauricio Macri, and more importantly, they also ousted his free market economic plans, which sought to overturn the economic problems that was left by the previous administration of Christina Kirchner. But instead, voters punished Macri without pity for what they clearly considered was his failure to generate jobs, produce economic growth, tame inflation. So here we are, Mooney, back full circle again with a Peronist government. Is Argentina totally ungovernable? So that's the million-dollar question, Peter, and we will be asking Argentina expert Ben Gadan, our guest from the Woodrow Wilson Center, some of these questions. With Ben, we will talk about the new government of President-elect Alberto Fernández and take a deeper look at the role of his VP, former President Cristina Fernández de Kirchner, a charismatic, fiery, divisive politician. And most importantly, we'll also explore the current state of the country, in a word, chaos, I was going to say disarray, and most of all, dive into the country's economic perspectives. Okay, so on October 27th, 48% of Argentines, a large enough plurality of voters to avoid a runoff, chose Fernandez in a multi-party election that was all, all, all about the economy. Voters rejected Macri's business-friendly, IMF-supported reform agenda, which they blamed for an economic crisis that left millions in poverty, one out of 10 Argentines out of work. And it's not clear where Argentina's going to go, however, because the Fernandez duo has laid out no specific plans. I mean, it was great. This, this election was all about, like, we don't like his plan. We don't like what he's doing. That notion that they would lay out a plan was out of the question. And then now there's some indications that the new president may just play it safe, but markets are obviously fearing a return to a new round of Kirshner brand populism and corruption. And so the repercussions were really instantaneous. And even if um, Alberto Fernandez promised a smooth transition, he has his teams working together with the Macri teams. But anyway, his overt call for greater government control over the economy and his efforts to overtake Macri's liberal reforms have already scared the central bank. They're tightening capital controls. And then the day after the election, the dollar denominated withdrawals were limited to 200 per day. So anticipating quite a crisis. And Fernandez has already named a transition team with pretty solid top economic advisors and has promised to renegotiate with the IMF. The, you know, the terms of this renegotiations are not clear and recover investor confidence. But it is undeniable that just like many other Argentine presidents before him, Fernandez has a major economic crisis in his hands, including a deep recession, poverty that's up to 35%, credit challenges, enormous debt, including $57 billion to the IMF only, and the looming storm clouds of default. Yeah, and I, I think all those numbers are critically important, particularly given the outsized shadow of the figure of the vice president, Christina Kirshner, which is just a serious cause for concern, because after all, she is really responsible for the election of this new president. She selected him as the candidate for the Baroness party in a public ceremony that was filled with all of this very pomp and circumstance filled event. You know, and many feared that the current president, who was Nestor Kirchner's, Christina's husband's chief of cabinet, could just be a puppet for this polarizing vice president while the country slips back into you know, a very populist, very interventionist past. 
You know, this reminds me a little bit of uh, the Mexican election where it was really unclear what the economic path the new team would be taking. And and it may become clear in the case of Argentina in the coming days and months when the full team is announced, when the reforms begin. But right now, everything points to more and more uncertainty. There's divisions already in the new coalition on how to renegotiate with the IMF. Cristina, as you said, will likely weigh in in favor of higher spending. And it's although it's you know positive that there was this kind of friendly transition with Macri and the president taking pictures and having cordial meetings, there is a pretty strong sense of uncertainty. I think there's one thing we we should also mention, Mooney, which is that the outcome of this election also sort of does a a U-turn and reverse course of the South American ideological path, which seemed to be really shifting uh, to the right after wins by Jair Bolsonaro in in Brazil and conservative Piñera in Chile, centrist, center-right Duque in Colombia, and, you know, incumbent Macri was part of that sort of center-right gang. And now all that's being revisited because Piñera faces violent protests, Duque's political party is being, you know, absolutely decimated in um, municipal elections in Bogota. And now Macri's history, not to mention that Evo Morales in Bolivia just a few days ago won after practically stealing the election another term. So it just does seem like, you know, the the famous prediction that the left is dead in Latin America is not true. And it's here it is rising like the phoenix. So to help us decipher Argentina's return to peronismo, we are joined today by Benjamin Gadan, a senior advisor to the Wilson Center's Latin America program and the director of its Argentina project. And Ben also serves as an adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins and is a former South America director at the National Security Council of the White House. Ben began as a journalist reporting for the Boston Globe, the Miami Herald, and other publications. Welcome, Ben. Maybe you can shed some light on this very complicated country. I'll do my best. Easy task, Ben. (laughs) So you recently summarized the election in a simple and pretty concerning phrase. Populism is an easier sell, but Argentina is broke. Pretty realistic. Could you expand on this? Yeah, I think, understandably, Argentine voters were looking for an alternative to the government. They'd suffered recessions in three of the last four years. They'd endured austerity um, and never saw the upside and were repeatedly told that there was this economic light at the end of the tunnel. You know, come an election, naturally, it would be appealing to vote for a candidate who says they can restart the economy and improve public employment. Um, you know, whether in fact they have the wherewithal to do so or really any original ideas is another question. Okay. Okay. But wait, wait, let's, let's go a little deeper into that. So, I mean, it's pretty clear to me what Argent, what the Argentines voted against, right? They voted against IMF and constant crisis, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not clear to me what they voted for, because certainly I'm not clear. And I don't know that any Argentine is clear. Uh, about what Fernandez is going to do regarding the economy. So uh, I'm not asking you to, I'm just asking you to look in your crystal ball and tell us what you think is going to happen. Yeah, I think, look, the so-called voto castigo, this you know punishment vote, I think does explain a lot of voter behavior. Um, it's difficult to say what they voted for because there was so little content in this election related to the economic agenda of the opposition. Now, there were some tactical reasons for that. It's always easy to oppose an incumbent when times are tough. There's a very heterogeneous coalition that's taking over. And so, you know, choosing sides during the election would have revealed these um, schisms within the Peronist movement right now. Um, even though there were two debates and a rather long 
long campaign season, we really don't know what they were voting for in terms of actual policy content. We know that there were some general objections to austerity. And so I think what people read into that message was that there would be more government spending, more money printing, um, more public employment and a general economic recovery. Again, how to get there, it's not clear. So what about the IMF? One of the first items on the agenda is to negotiate a rather significant debt with the IMF and avoid default. Um, a lot of the economic team is pretty um, heterodox in its policy. Was What do you expect? And, and I would just add that I, I heard that Mnuchin had uh, issued some type of a warning that uh, he expected the IMF to be in, you know, held in full and paid in on time, etc., Yeah, I think, unfortunately, in Argentina, there's some false hope when it comes to the renegotiations with the IMF. You know, from the Argentine perspective, frankly, across the political spectrum, there's this idea somehow that the IMF should be taking responsibility for the failure of this, you know, $56 billion historic bailout. And so show flexibility as an acknowledgement of its own errors and the idea that there's so much IMF money on the line that, of course, they'll want to see this through. And then there's the idea of avoiding reputational damage that the IMF has failed so much in Argentina that it can't bear to fail again. I mean, look, there's something to all that. But at the end of the day, what does the IMF want? It wants responsible budgeting. And that's not what we typically see in Argentina and certainly not from Peronist governments. But like, can we, let's go a little deeper into that. I mean, I think it's an interesting um, peek into the psyche of the Argentines in which they feel that, oh, well, now that they lent us billions of dollars, actually the ones who are on the hook is them, not us. I mean, when will, when will that mentality start to end in Argentina? Yeah, look, there's this oft-repeated cliche now that, you know, if you owe the bank, you know, $10,000, you know, the bank owns you. If you owe the bank a million dollars, you own the bank. Um, I think they'll realize pretty quickly when they sit with the IMF or when they hear more from, you know, the Treasury Department in the United States, which is a big player in the IMF board, that in fact, the leverage still is in Washington and is at the IMF. And that as much as it's true, I think it's not in the IMF's interest for Argentina to once again be isolated in the international financial community and, and you know, in the worst case scenario actually, you know, end up in default to the IMF and not, uh, you know, not service its debt. Um, I think it's still going to take some time before Argentina recognizes that, you know, the IMF is going to make the demands it normally makes, and they are going to contradict a lot of the campaign promises that got Alberto Fernandez elected. So who is Alberto Fernandez? And and is he going to be a reformer? Is he going to be like, uh, uh, you know, when we were writing these questions, we, we thought of, is he like a Diaz-Canel? Is he like a Lenin Moreno? I mean, is he going to be, does he come in dressed in the Peronist uh, clothes, but then he's going to reveal that he's actually not uh, or something in between? So I guess, the, the, is he going to tow the traditional Kirshner Peronist line or is he going to create a third way? I mean, it's really remarkable, you know, that immediately after an election of this intensity and in an economy of this importance, that it's such a mystery who they've just elected. Um, and, and frankly, it remains highly unknown, right? I mean, there's some people who put it in the Argentine context who say, hey, he's going to surprise you. He's, he's Menem, right? And he's going to come in with this neoliberalism by surprise and actually be the reformer that Macri couldn't be, not knowing how to manage the Argentine Congress or establish a corporatist network. Uh, nationally in Argentina, right? Then there's others who say, no, I mean, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner um, elected him. She actually announced him. She, you know, chose him. Uh, they say he was elected with votos prestados, right? That he, in fact, was only elected on her coattails. And in that sense, she will dominate and he will just be this sort of vessel for far-left Peronism. I don't know 
know the answer. What I do know is those who have worked with him over the years firmly believe that he's a pragmatic, moderate individual himself. That doesn't necessarily give us insight into how he'll govern or who will have the most influence over him in the Casa Rosada. But those who have worked with him firmly believe that his instincts are pragmatic. Even on the economy, you did mention a broad coalition. Is there a chance of it fracturing? We kind of know some of the names on his economic team, but um, do you anticipate some sort of a division in the way they want to manage the economic crisis? I think on economic matters, he's pragmatic. But again, you have to frame it in the Argentine political system, which is to say he's a Peronist. So those who think that when one describes him as a pragmatic, you know, centrist, moderate figure, it means he'll resemble at all the Macri administration. I think that's false hope. I mean, the Peronists Peronists are protectionists. The Peronists are focused on some version of import substitution ideas still, which means, you know, a great preference for industry, you know, tensions with the agricultural sector and not particularly interested in any kind of liberalization or labor reform, pension reform, all of the items that were left undone by this, you know, pro-reform, pro-market government. Um, that said, it could even be much worse than that, right, for those who are seeking a continuation of the, you know, market liberalization project, which is to say he could end up really interventionist if things go wrong. Um, under pressure from, you know, members of his coalition who see the state as being the key actor in the economy. You know, what would catalyze that, you know, shift in his approach? Probably things falling apart, which, you know, strengthens the radicals in his coalition. Right. So tell us a little bit, describe that coalition and particularly those people who you believe are going to be in charge of the economic decision making and tell us how they're viewed internationally. Yeah, I mean, as I described, I think, you know, traditional Peronism, and there was actually a fracture in Peronism over many of these issues in the years before this election. Traditional Peronism, again, is protectionist, broadly speaking, although with the big exception of Carlos Menem, um, and does favor industry and urban, you know, working class issues. But within this very heterogeneous Peronism that we have today, and frankly, have always had, um, the dominant Christina faction has a very different approach. And, you know, we can get into foreign policy, but on economic policy, you know, we saw distortions such as price controls, massive subsidies that made public transportation and utilities almost free and were in place since 2001 and to some degree are even still you know, there now after four years of mockery. Um, you had capital controls, you had export taxes. So a lot, I mean, basically everything that this so-called Washington consensus warns against um, were favored by uh, former finance minister Axel Kisilov, who's now the incoming uh, governor of Buenos Aires province. That's one faction in Peronism and one that, frankly, has been dominant. You know, the other faction is much more moderate and more private sector oriented, more open to globalization. Um, I think most people agree that's the faction where Alberto Fernandez feels more comfortable. And in fact, he's been in politics so long as a Peronist that he's sort of served a lot of different ideological interests within the Peronist movement. Again, the question is whether he'll be able to express his own policy agenda and his preferences or not. Ben, there is a giant temptation always to describe Latin America in waves. So Latin America is doing is trending toward the right. It's trending toward the left. But there has been a lot said lately about the left returning to Latin America. And there's different examples. The triumph of the left in the Colombian regional local elections recently, the protest in Chile, and now this um, ousting of Macri. Do you believe that this is the beginning of a new Marea Rosa in Latin America? 
Uh, look, it's hard to say, and, and, and you're correct that there's a lot of idiosyncrasies in every country and, and even among these sort of protest movements um, that we've seen in Haiti and Ecuador um, in Bolivia. You know, there's a lot of, you know, unique factors. I will say this. Argentina was on the leading edge of the end of the pink tide um, when the Kirchneristas left and, and Mauricio Macri was elected in late 2015. You know, in hindsight, that was sort of the beginning of transitions that you, you know, later saw, of course, in Brazil and in Chile and elsewhere. Um, you know, where things are headed, it's hard to know. But certainly the anti-incumbent fervor in Latin America would lead you to believe that anytime there's an election now, it's going to be very difficult for any current office holder. And so to the extent that conservatives are governing as elections come up, yeah, you could see the left winning in a lot of different places. So it's more anti-incumbent than ideological? I think so. I mean, look, the end of the pink tide had something in common where the commodity super cycle ended and suddenly you had populism without resources, which we talked about earlier, um, which doesn't function. And so the pink tide sort of petered out. Now for a variety of you know, structural reasons. There's anti-incumbent beliefs. And I don't think they're particularly, you know, related to left-right. I mean, if you look in Chile, the left and the right have both more or less embraced an economic model that's now being challenged by the Chilean people across the political spectrum. You know, Bolivia, certainly supporters of the left, except the election, broadly speaking. But even within Bolivia, there's now some fragmentation and some, you know, discontent with Evo Morales, even from sort of former natural allies. So yeah, I would say it's more anti-incumbent than anything. What is uh, this, this election portend for investors in Latin America, European, Chinese, American investors, and talk about Argentina specifically, but also about sort of, you know, an increasing disillusion with Latin America, which is a serious problem for middle-income countries that depend on economic growth, and the economic growth depends on increased investment. So this just seems to be a really down moment for Argentina, but also for the region. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a difficult investment climate, even in the best of times, right, with inadequate infrastructure, with, you know, diminished capability when it comes to the rule of law and guaranteeing contracts. Um, and, you know, a region where when there's not a, you know, really high commodity prices, doesn't really have competitive industries to be able to engage in trade or offer investors really good opportunities. And then you layer on top of that, um, the lack of policy continuity. And I think that's something that's on display in Argentina, where investors come in, they were romanced by Mauricio Macri who was, you know, thought he was setting up at least a, you know, eight year, maybe a 10 year, maybe longer period of transition. He's in Davos all of a sudden. He's bringing Argentina to the OECD. And there's this idea that it's really turning around and he's going to somehow demonstrate that you can get prosperity through market liberalization and, and affect other countries that are on that same Latin American pendulum. And in fact, he's proved the opposite, right? That Latin America just seems doomed to go back and forth between these relatively extremes, other than, you know, cases like Uruguay and Chile, um, of economic management. And that's just a disastrous for investment, right? What do foreign investors want? They want some kind of transparency and continuity in policy. And Latin America just has not been able to offer that. There was a bromance going on for a while between Macri and Donald Trump. Do you think this election is going to make Argentina move away from the U.S.? And more importantly, will it move even closer to China, that was also already its main trading partner and main creditor? So my answer is yes. But before I say that, let me give the other argument, because I don't want to be too pessimistic about this. Right. There is some argument that if there's anyone who could get along with a parentist, it's Donald Trump. Right. They share a protectionist, nationalist view of the world. Donald Trump is not going to be particularly concerned about the relationship with the press, which was a big issue for the United States when Christina Kirchner was sort of the original attacker of fake news. She called it Clarín Miente, Clarín Lies, the biggest, you know, uh, media conglomerate in Argentina. You know, so the, the human rights concerns, you know, the, he's not going to be pressuring Argentina to uh, bring in Syrian refugees in the way that the Obama administration that I worked for in the White House, you know, prioritized uh, climate, et cetera. These aren't going 
to be big issues for the Trump White House. And so maybe, you know, we're surprised, right? And actually they find a way to, to be close. I don't think that's the base case scenario, but there are those who, who want to believe that it. That is really an optimistic <laughs> reading. <I> mean, <laughs> it is, but again, look, if you want to you be upbeat, you know, there are some elements that maybe would lead in that direction. I think the reality is, you know, the opposite, right? A lot of what Argentina, you know, got out of the relationship was because of this personal tie between Donald Trump and Mauricio Macri. He was the second Latin American head of state to get a meeting in the Oval Office. They had a shared history in business and real estate and, you know, seemed to have some personal affinity, at least from the, you know, the White House perspective. And that did give Argentina a lot, frankly. I mean, it still was to some degree victimized by America first policy. Um, Argentina's biggest export to the United States is biodiesel. It was blocked um, by the Commerce Department. Argentina, you know, had to fight tooth and nail to get market access for other critical products like beef and lemons. It was subject to having to beg for maintaining access to, you know, for iron, um, for for steel and aluminum, pardon me. And so, you know, but ultimately it got, you know, readmission of the generalized system of preferences. It got a U.S. endorsement for the OECD. All of this um, probably because of this personal relationship and because Macri's project of economic liberalization was, you know, in the U.S. interest. What are you going to have now? Even if nothing changes but Venezuela policy, that could be enough to dynamite the diplomatic relationship. And probably a lot more will change about Argentine foreign policy. And what about Argentina and China? I mean, China had become an issue for the United States and Argentina before, and then it obviously waned with Mauricio Macri's election. What do you foresee now between Argentina and China? And do you foresee that this is going to become again an issue with the United States? Yeah, I mean, China and Argentina, it's been interesting. On the, from the Chinese perspective, I think it's been a really interesting case study in China's sort of more flexible, non-ideological approach to foreign policy, because its, its you know, posture toward Macri was nearly identical as to Christina, right? I mean, Macri eliminates the kind of geostrategic element of the relationship and certainly and explicitly wasn't seeking to balance U.S. interests in the region and get close to, to new players, but rather seeking, you know, access to the Chinese market and seeking Chinese investment. And the Chinese said, sure, right? And even expanded this mammoth line of credit that they offer the Argentines, which is pretty critical. Argentina has, you know, struggles to, you know, borrow normally in international capital markets. Um, and, and the U.S. reaction was also interesting and surprising, which was that Argentina under Macri got a pass for its relationship with China that many Latin American countries didn't. And I think, again, that relates to this personal relationship that will not exist anymore in the next government. You didn't hear very much publicly, at least, about the closeness of Macri and China economically. And I think that if Alberto Fernandez doesn't replicate Cristina's more ideological approach, but merely says, yeah, it's a key economic partner, he may be subject to condemnation from the White House that Mauricio Macri escaped, again, even if the policy is identical. And there are some indications that it won't be, that in fact there will be more of a strategic ideological tint to an Alberto Fernandez relationship with China. And that, of course, would be even more provocative for Washington. So I just wanted to end by asking you a couple, I know Mooney wants to ask you about Christina, but I wanted to ask you about a couple of people that are going to make important contributions or provide some important obstacles to Fernandez's success. Why don't we talk a little bit about Sergio Massa, who has been a Peronist leader, ran for president, but is an important force within the Peronist party. How do you see his role interacting with the government? 
It, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's a real unknown in terms of, you know, how loyal he will be to this coalition as the head of Argentina's lower house. I've hosted him twice over the last year at the Wilson Center. And, you know, frankly, the last time he came, it was quite interesting. There was a lot of message discipline um, among Alberto Fernandez's, you know, allies, despite the diversity of views. I mean, there really was the sense he would say, Christine and I are the same person and, you know, would really um, deny any conflicts within the coalition. And Massa doesn't toe that line. Um, he said, you know, it's not a, a pure, it's a plato de verduras, right? And that was his code for, I still very strongly disagree with Christina's views, and in Congress will be a balancing force. Um, and I think he is seen as a maverick who has his own base of support. He famously broke with Christina after being her chief of staff, and I think there is fear that he could break with Alberto Fernandez as well. What about Christina? Have, will she have an outsized role like her personality indicates in this government or will she kind of stay behind the scenes, which sounds unlikely? Yeah, again, I mean, among those that, you know, insist on, you know, total optimism, there's this view that, you know, she's a very narrow policy agenda and it's related to criminal cases against her and her two children. Um, and that, in fact, she has really no policy interests anymore and will be, you know, rather quiet. Just as during the campaign, she was mostly in Havana visiting her daughter um, or on a book tour you know, with her memoirs and not, you know, engaging in a lot of campaign events. I think that's real wishful thinking for those who, you know, don't want to see her as a major force. Um, and in particular, I think if, in fact, we see from Alberto Fernandez any hints of austerity or that the IMF has too much influence or he's making too many concessions to Washington, um, and if the economy really isn't recovering in a way that gives him the resources to answer the expectations that Christina and, her, you know, her coterie have raised among, you know, Peronist supporters, yeah, I think you're going to see her as a real protagonist. Um, we'll see how long it takes, but, but I would be very surprised if she's not a major player. Ben Gadan, thank you for joining us in Altamar. My pleasure. Ay, 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 Mooney. Again, Argentina, here we go again. It is just so disconcerting. I mean, here is a man that even one of the most important experts on Argentina cannot tell us what he's going to do, can't even tell us really who he is and what he's about. And it just seems like they've elected somebody that they don't really know what he's going to do, except for the fact that he's the anti-Macri. And uh, just, uh, I wonder how much of this is about, is it going to be about one Fernandez versus the other Fernandez? I don't know. Well, I think there is obviously a ton of uncertainty, especially on the economy, which was what the campaign was really about and we ended up knowing very little even now but we do know Cristina Peter and we know exactly what she stands for we know exactly how she operates and the you know the her charisma and her corruption and her ideology and how she likes to operate the question I think really is how much of a role she's going to have or was she just in there to get him elected or is she really thinking of governing again and that's a that's a big big question that could you know take things one way or the other. You know, it just reminds me, I just before Macri took office, I happened to have been in Buenos Aires and I saw Macri's chief of staff in the campaign. And he, he said to me, this isn't just any presidential election. This isn't just any presidential inauguration. This is more than a revolution. It's a new religion that we're, that we're installing here in Argentina. And look, look <laughs> it's how, a little pretentious in look hindsight. Look how long that got them. And though Argentines didn't know who they were voting for, they didn't know whether they were voting for one Fernandez or the other Fernandez. One thing that they were clear on is that they were voting against this new religion. So with that, that's all for all tomorrow. See you next time. <laughs>